Well, I'm going to read God's word for us, and then we will dive in. This is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 16 through 24. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, it's a privilege to be back here with you again. My name's James Madden. I'm the campus minister with RUF at SMU. have been there for three or four years and have gotten to know many of you. So I want to say thank you, first of all, for your continued support. And uh, before I dive in, I want to present you an invitation. On December 3rd, Sunday night at 8.30 p.m., Sunday, December 3rd, 8.30, RUF hosts a Lessons and Carol service in Perkins Chapel, which is the... Uh, chapel building, beautiful building on campus. We would love it if you would join us. Uh, you, it is completely free, if you would believe that. Uh, we have a wonderful band that we get prepared. We walk through the nativity story. It is, uh, it, it may be the best thing we do. And it gives our students a taste of home uh, right before they're studying for finals. And I would love it if uh, y'all would join us. So know that you are cordially invited, and you can get an insight into what we're up to within the ministry. In 1928, uh, the English scientist Alexander Fleming uh, walked into his laboratory to make a sudden and unexpected discovery, and he noticed that In his Petri dish, the things that he'd been researching, namely the effects of staph infection, had suddenly been affected by this strange substance that had stopped the growth of it. Now, he was studying the effect of bacteria, and out of nowhere, there was this strange fungus, this mold that had appeared, and it had stopped this bacteria from growing, and That's a weird science experiment, and like most great discoveries of time, it always starts with, hmm, that's odd, as I've heard it said. Over the course of time, World War II gets going, and they realize that there's a potent force here to stop bacteria from growing. The highest rates of mortality in war 
wouldn't necessarily be from the wound itself, but from the infection from the wound. In World War I, the mortality rate was about 20% once you were injured. 20%. With this discovery of this strange mold, scientists were... Oh, dear. back? This is why you usually tuck the wire in. Lesson learned. With this discovery, scientists had stumbled into perhaps the greatest life-changing medicine of the history of the world, namely penicillin. This was the birth of penicillin. And something so strange and so odd as a mold, a fungus, the type of thing that is either a mushroom or grows between your toes or is even a black mold on a wall that you literally will call in exterminators to get out that a hurricane would create everywhere had actually become the source of life. Something powerful, something surprising, something that produces incredible joy. That is the story of penicillin. It's actually... In a strange way, the story of the mission of the people of God. It's powerful, it's very surprising, and it creates a lot of joy because it heals. Power, surprise, and joy of the kingdom of God. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. And actually what I want to do is I want to start with the end. And I want to start with the end in verses 23 and 24 because I want you to see that these disciples were waiting for something big to happen. For hundreds and thousands of years, there had been prophets, there had been kings, who had been waiting to see this amazing thing happen, namely the arrival of the kingdom of God. They had been waiting for it. They had been longing. Prophets had been saying, God, when are you going to show up and make manifest the glory of your kingdom? They had gone in and out of exile. King David had built a temple. Solomon had expanded it. Or, excuse me, Solomon had built the temple. Forgive me. They had gone into exile. They had come back. The kingdom was was waiting. There was 400 years of silence from the prophets. And people were saying, where is the kingdom? Where's the Messiah? Rome is here. What's going to happen? We're looking for a king. We're looking for somebody who's going to come in and begin to make things right. And then Jesus says, guess what, guys? You're seeing it. It's happening right now. Smile. The kingdom of God is here. And it's a little bit different than you thought it was going to be. Right before this passage, Jesus had sent out 72 of his disciples. 72 followers. You know he only had 12 disciples. So this is his sort of outer circle of people who were his followers, and he sent them out ahead of him, ahead of him to proclaim that, guess what? The kingdom of God's coming. The kingdom of God is coming. There's somebody coming here who's going to change everything. Prepare the palm branches in your hearts to cry out Hosanna when this king comes through this tiny little town of yours and come and preach peace. And guess what? They're going to know that you're coming because I'm going to give you power. You're going to get power. 
And when he says power, we're not just talking about you're going to be full of a sense of great self-esteem and confidence. Your public speaking skills are going to go from a 0 to a 12. And in fact, you're going to be so rhetorically persuasive that people are going to jaw-droppingly fall. No, this is going to be the kind of power that heals the sick, that casts out demons, and that causes people to say, what is going on? That's what's going on in this passage. They just got back from there. And they are so excited. They're thrilled. The kingdom of God had arrived with power. And they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, you won't believe this. The demons are subject. The demons, they listen to us. Much of nobody. Demon, demons are listening to them. And, say, and, and Jesus responds with a sense of, yeah, I remember when I saw that happen and Satan fell down from heaven. He's actually under my authority. So, yeah, that's right. That is what's going on. And guess what? I've given you authority. I've given you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing is going to hurt you. Whoa. Physical, literal, yes. Spiritual, absolutely. The Holy Spirit of God had come to a group of 72, I want to say relatively anonymous people, and they were thrilled about it. My first question for you this morning is, when you think about the coming of the kingdom of God, what is the emotion that immediately comes to mind, that comes out? What is it? Maybe it's even fear. Because things are going to start to get weird when the Holy Spirit shows up, right? Tongues, loud noises, healing, yelling, unintelligible languages. And so I want to do is I want to just address a little bit of a sense of what are we supposed to make of stuff like this? Is that still happening today? When we talk about this treading on serpents and scorpions, when was the last time anybody saw a scorpion? Seriously. Maybe you can raise your hand. Maybe you have. But who's seen a scorpion? Actually, uh, our denomination did a fantastic job. In 1975, they wrote a pastoral letter to all the churches advising them concerning spiritual gifts within the church. And they said a couple different things. They said, well, first of all, it's an absolute work of the Holy Spirit whenever anybody comes to faith. Whenever their heart is regenerated, that is a work of the Holy Spirit, and they come to faith. We're all excited about that. It is a miracle when somebody moves from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Praise God. That is power. It's also a work of the Holy Spirit when somebody grows as a Christian. When the way they used to act, when the, the selfishness, the pridefulness begins to die, and a love for the glory of God is made manifest. A love for the outsider, the marginalized, the refugee becomes so potent that we see the Holy Spirit is at work. So we say, okay, the Holy Spirit's at work there too. We're great with that. Well, what about the gifts? What about the gifts? Well, we see that the Holy Spirit is at work clearly in teaching and giving well, the, the letter also says, and we agree that the Spirit, actually we pray to the Spirit that would heal, that God would heal. 
So then we kind of come down into, well, what about these supernatural, extraordinary events of, of speaking in tongues and things like that? And the answer that the church gives, which is so right for us, is just to say, perhaps, not say absolutely no, but just caution and pause. Now, here's why all of this matters. It matters because there's a couple of effects that this is going to have on all of us. On the one hand, if you're the type of person that is waiting for the Holy Spirit to go to work and to change people here and there, everywhere you see the work of the Holy Spirit, you look down and you see a guitar pick on the ground and you think God is telling you that you need to buy a guitar and become a worship leader, that you need to memorize every Hillsong album known to man. You need to go to Colin and say, hey, that's my place up there. Make room for me, huh? If that's you on the one hand, then maybe this, this text, it, it, the, the, the word, it pulls us back because maybe that's not an advancement of the kingdom. We have God's word. We have that understanding. If on the other hand, you're the type of person that is so limited and prescribed how the Holy Spirit can work, and you're saying, I don't think the Holy Spirit could do that. You know, theologically speaking, the Holy Spirit doesn't actually do that anymore then perhaps we become guilty of the idolatry of thinking we can control God. So on one hand, we go way too far with it. And on the other hand, we say, nope, God can't do that. And then we're guilty of unbelief. Now here's where it gets really practical for you. When you have that conversation with somebody and they say, I just really feel like God... you have that conversation with somebody and they say, and they say, you know, God is really telling me to do this. And, and in your head, you're thinking, God's telling me the exact opposite. And you're saying, maybe we should have a conference call. And the three of us, we could get into it. And, and this is important because we need to be able to understand how is the Holy Spirit working for the mission of God for the church? How are you and I going to relate to somebody who has a different view of the work of the Holy Spirit as part of God's mission? Can we partner with them? Are we going to shy away? Are we going to say, oh, I don't know about that? Caution. But the kingdom of God always, always, always comes with power. It's always coming with power. It's always coming with God's word, an announcement that Jesus is here and lives are being changed. And here's why that starts to matter. Here's why we don't want to squelch anybody who is thinking, I think God's calling me perhaps to be a missionary. God, I, I, think, I, I think God is calling me that. We don't want to squelch those dreams. Because that leads me to our second point, and that's the surprise of the way that the kingdom of God moves. If you're a parent and you've got kids and, you're, <laughs> and your child comes up and says, I think I want to be a missionary. That's a good thing. If they say, that really upsets me. I can't believe it in Africa. They, there are these places they've never heard about Jesus. They've never heard. I, and, and it bothers them. And they say, I've got this longing. Are we going to squelch those dreams? Are we going to say, oh, but you're going to go to A&M. How are you going to go to A&M if you're in Africa? 
We don't want to squelch those dreams. We don't want to get in the way of this spirit that is working and moving in power and in a surprising way. And Jesus, in verse 21, says this, In the same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, with such a gracious will. And yes, even kids. But even children in the sense of Paul talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that actually the power of God, the work of the cross and the resurrection becomes very clear to those who are not worldly, wise, successful, prominent, but it actually becomes very clear to those who are not. And they see it just as clear as day. And those are the types of people, the, I, I would dare say, we don't know every name of the 72, but I would imagine a lot of these 72 are those types of people who don't really have great answers. They don't probably have all their ducks in a row. What they have is a desire to follow Jesus' call. Jesus says, hey, come near. I want you to go ahead. And they say, okay. Let's do it. And they realize that there is an incredible amount of power, Holy Spirit-driven power that comes from proximity to their king. That the closer they get to Jesus, actually the more powerful they are, and it's surprising as who actually begins to draw close. You think about Gideon. Gideon. It's embarrassing. Leader. Saves Israel. There's another story right after uh, that passage where Gideon, he gathers up 30,000 Israelites to go, and I believe his face, the Midianites, and God looks at him and says, no, this is too many. We need fewer. We need fewer. And so it's like 3,000. It's like, no, it's too many. How about 300? What God is doing when he takes these people these surprising, these children, the, the people who are least regarded is he is magnifying the grace and the glory of his power. The surprise of the kingdom always comes to the glory of the king and the invitation of those who you wouldn't think would be a part of it. We saw that last week at the Global Missions Conference. Last weekend, about 2,000 people gathered down at the Hilton Anatole, and it was remarkable hearing the stories of what just ordinary people are going to do. There are roughly 1,600 languages, ethnicity, people groups, who haven't heard the gospel. 1,600 different groups. Who's going to go? Who's going to go? Roman says that how, how are they going to hear the good news if, I, if, I don't, if we don't go, if we don't go tell them? Who's going to go? Who's going who's to take the power of the Holy Spirit with them and proclaim the gospel and word of God? Because we've actually got an entire Bible now. You know, they didn't have that in this passage. What they had was Jesus' call. They had the promises of the prophets, but they didn't really get it. They just were following Jesus. We've got a full 2,000 years of study of God's word that we can go and take out. And it's always surprising people who go. I think about people like Amy Carmichael. Probably haven't heard of Amy Carmichael. Late 19th century, early 20th century English missionary. She 
was so weak, she was so weak, she had neuralgia. If you don't know what neuralgia is, that is extensive, intense spasms of pain in your head or in your back. It's a neurological disease. She would be in bed for weeks at a time. And she said, I think God's calling me to be a missionary. What? No. And they said, with a few of her friends' encouragement. You can, could you imagine going before a missions committee with that and saying, what do you think, guys? Girls? Hmm? 55 years in India serving as a missionary. David Livingston, 19th century poor guy, grows up in the cotton mill, becomes a doctor, goes out to Africa. He hates slavery. He wants to stop all that. Just an average nobody. Phyllis Wheatley, African-American slave, brought over from Ghana, learns to read at about 10 or 11. Her and a group of slaves and abolitionists were the first documented group to send missionaries over back to Africa around the time of the American Revolution. It's always a surprise. You know, if I were to do it, I would probably start with a capital fundraising campaign. I would uh, read a lot of uh, missional theology textbooks. I would come up probably with direct mailing, social media. Um, I'd bring in uh, all of the advisors. We would maximize our efficiency. I'd want to bring in some huge name speakers. I would want to, um, you know, sync this up with a massive technological communication If I was doing missions, that would be my immediate hunch. That would be my idea of how power works, of how the expansion of God's kingdom goes. And in this text, it's surprising. It's really surprising who God actually calls because we just don't know. We just know that the kingdom is powerful. It's always a surprise. And finally, it is always a joy. Did you know that this passage right here, this verse, in verse 21, in the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise understanding, that this is the time when one of the few times that Jesus is actually listed is is having the most joy. Here. This is one of the times that Jesus is actually at his, his happiness. His most joyful is when he gets to see these people who he has sent out, come back with smiles on their faces, talking about what they have seen God do both through them and around them. And that gives Jesus joy. He observes the scene and he gets joy. When we think of missions, are we smiling? God delights in missions. God delights when any and all of us are part of his great commission. There is joy there. It is fun. Say it another way. Dwight Moody said, The Lord gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to him. Perpetual joy. Richard Foster says, Joy, not grit, is the hallmark of holy obedience. We need to be lighthearted in what we do to avoid taking ourselves too seriously. It's a cheerful revolt against self and pride. Joy is not grit. It's the hallmark of holy obedience. 
why. Verse 22, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Anyone who's seen Jesus for the glory that he has, for the glory of who he is, gets a glimpse of the Father, is changed. We are attracted to beauty. We're attracted to joy. When I see the reason for existing, when I see the creator of joy, when I see the person who literally invented laughing, the one who laughed to laugh for the sake of laughing, for no other greater purpose than joy, and who invites me in, the greatest joys in my entire life have been when I have been invited into a circle of friends. It's the greatest. Think about that time in your life, the the most seminal moments where you're full of the greatest joy, and I would submit to you it is almost always with the people who you love most. And it's probably a party. It's probably a party. The joy of missions is about the revelation of God to people. It's about introducing others to God. It's a heart of invitation. So whether you're going to Africa or you're staying here, you're for the nation's refugee, whether I'm at SMU, it's about inviting people in to get to know this great and joyful God. It's fun. It's really fun. Following the Great Commission and taking it literally is great. I mean, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to diminish that. But if Jesus is rejoicing when people are following him, I can rejoice too, and so can you. Seeing somebody changed, being brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, being hopeless and having hope in an eternal God, being selfish and becoming humble is the coolest thing I ever see, and it never gets old. Seeing random nobody people like me, like you, be changed and elevated to the status of royalty in God's kingdom is awesome. It is a call to the highest common denominator, and that is life with God. It's what we were made for. That's the heart of missions. It's full of power. It is full of surprise. Never know what God's doing, and it's always full of joy. So let's smile like our Savior. We can be rejoicing. Jesus rose from the dead. He did it. We're inviting him home. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for every person here. Thank you for for giving us a picture that doing your will can be fun. It can be full of joy. Um, It's surprising. Open our eyes to see you more, that we could be spellbound by your beauty and moved into life, into action, and obedience. Even if we don't understand, even if we don't have all the answers, spur us to call, to hear your call and follow you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.